0: You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too.
1: At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody
2: What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come
1: true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.
2: Happy Saturday, everybody. In last week's classic, Empress Elizabeth of Austria, better known as Cece, came up as Ludwig II of Bavaria's cousin and best friend. So we're gonna go back to the classic episode about her today, which talks about the Empress herself, why she was so
0: beloved, and the gruesome end
2: of her murderer.
0: This episode is from November of 2011 from past hosts, Sarah and Diplina. So enjoy.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
3: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy, And I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And I'm sure everyone who's listened to the podcast for a while knows that one of my favorite subjects – Ever is Ludwig II of Bavaria. He, just to recap for you, since I don't talk about him enough, he's a Wagner superfan. He built all of those. Disney castles, which are really more the inspiration for Disney castles than anything. And he died a very mysterious death, which is always good for a podcast subject at least. But after that episode on Ludwig aired, a lot of listeners started writing in to suggest that we cover another member of the Wittelsbach family, Ludwig's cousin and his best friend, the Empress Elizabeth of Austria, who is better known as Empress Cece. And Cece's really considered a prime example of Wittelsbach eccentricity, but she's also considered, interestingly enough, a prime representative of the family she married into, the Habsburgs. And that's pretty ironic because Cece wasn't really a very good Habsburg at all.
4: No, she wasn't. She was headstrong, introverted, and she preferred Corfu to Vienna. She believed monarchical government was obsolete, and worst of all for a Habsburg matriarch, she was more interested in tight-laced corsets than having lots of babies. Yet she's often considered the favorite Habsburg, and even the original People's Princess, because she was so popular with her subjects. And you'll notice a lot of Princess Diana similarities here. At the 100th anniversary of her death, obviously a long time after the end of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, you could find her lovely picture on mugs and kitschy souvenirs, and there's even a Sisi museum in Vienna. Mattel even made a Sisi Barbie for the European market. So we've
3: got to ask, what is it about this Habsburg empress and this Wittelsbach oddball, essentially, that continues to fascinate people enough to make a Barbie out of her? So Sisi's life story is often told with this sort of fairy princess kind of spin. And a lot of that started because of these movies that came out in the 1950s that really presented her as the perfect fairy tale young princess who has an idyllic childhood, meets her prince, lives happily ever after. Um, But if you stop at age 15, that really does kind of fit her her actual life story. She was born Elizabeth Amelie Eugenie at a castle on Lake Starnberg on Christmas Eve, 1837. And she was the daughter of the Bavarian Duke Maximilian Joseph and Princess Lodovica, who was the Wittelsbach daughter of the Bavarian king. And she, I know that sounds like an illustrious background, and it is, but she grew up in a more rural setting than you'd expect. She grew up horseback riding, hunting with her father, mountain climbing, doing charity work, like visiting peasants, all again, kind of princessy sort of sounding things and she really was a, a country sort of princess with this relaxed loving family a lot of siblings and um, a very close environment she grew up in
4: but she was also really pretty she was considered to be the most beautiful princess in Europe in fact so it's no surprise that in August 1853 her 23 year old cousin Franz Joseph fell in love with her and now Franz Joseph had become Emperor of Austria at age 18 after his uncle abdicated and his father was scared skipped over to reboot the monarchy with a new youthful leader. But an 1853 assassination attempt made it imperative that he get a family going, and so his mother, Sophie, decided she wanted to keep things in the family. She really wanted to set Franz Joseph up with her sister Ludvika's daughter, Helene, and invited the ladies to a summer getaway. It seemed like it would be a good match. Helene was extremely religious. She was dutiful, probably would have made a good match for hardworking Franz Josef. But Ludovica faithfully brought along her younger daughter, too. So Elizabeth was there, and Franz Joseph fell for her instead of Helene.
3: Yeah, and they ended up announcing their engagement before they even left the little country retreat. And Cece is supposed to have said at least some of the following foreboding gems. I mean, you can, I guess, pick whichever one you like the best. She is supposed to have said, I'm so fond of the emperor, if only he were not an emperor. That doesn't sound very good. Uh, One doesn't turn down an emperor, Again, kind of scary sounding. And oh, if only he were a tailor, which... (laughs) That's
4: just kind of funny.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That one does sound pretty funny. I don't know if we should take it too lightly, though, because Cece did, of course, later become one of the most famous clients of the legendary couturier Charles Frederick Worth. So she did like clothes. Maybe a tailor would have been a good match. But whatever she specifically said, it seems likely that 15-year-old Cece knew that she was going to have a really hard time being empress of
4: Austria. And trouble really started almost immediately for them. Even the couple's honeymoon was cut short since Franz Joseph would have to ride back to Vienna every morning to deal with the Crimean War. So it was sort of a choppy honeymoon, I guess, with him going back and forth. Once installed at court, Cece did her best to perform her duties, but she found the formality there compared to Bavaria just terrible. At the time, to be in the top tier at court, you had to prove unbroken descent from 16 ancestors in the upper nobility, eight paternal and eight maternal. Lapses or marriages into the lesser nobility or middle classes were only acceptable if they occurred before the great-great-grandparents' generation. So just to show you how strict that was. Yeah,
3: that's just getting into court. You can imagine the kind of rules that regulate court once you're really there. So Cece did make attempts to loosen up the etiquette a little bit, try to modernize it some, but she was only met with disapproval from her mother-in-law, the Archduchess Sophie, who also started to censure her daughter in law about her constant horseback riding. She would take lots of horseback riding lessons. And the fact that she'd go out riding without chaperones, which her mother in law thought was kind of unseemly, but also a little bit dangerous. So Cece, you know, this young teenager starts to get pretty stressed out, not just from being away from home now, but because of stressful court life in Vienna and all this pressure from her mother in law about how to act. And eventually, she starts to get sort of sick. She'd have these panics about going down long, steep stairs, and she'd have coughing fits, and she'd suffer from what people considered classic Wittelsbach melancholy. If you've listened to the Ludwig episode, you know all about that. And things really only got worse when her first baby arrived only 10 months after the wedding. She named her Sophie after her friends, Joseph's mother. And that was a name that fit because the baby basically belonged to the archduchess. Cece was not allowed to play any part in its care and education and was truly upset about that. And she wasn't in Involved in the upbringing of her next daughter, either, Gisella, But she really fell into a new level of depression when baby Sophie died in 1857. Uh, CC stopped eating. She turned to these fasting cures where she'd live on light meals of milk or eggs or what sounds really terrible, raw beef juice served as a soup, um, just trying to deal with her, her depression in in this way.
4: And these mood-related fasts were just the beginning for Cece. Today, many historians looking back at her habits believe that she suffered from anorexia and also exercised to excess. She'd ride for hours or in later years go on these long, brisk walks. She took up fencing and had gymnasiums installed in all of her palaces so that she could work out whenever she wanted. If her weight crept above 50 kilos or about 110 pounds, and she was 5'8", so just keep that in mind. Which was really, really tall for the time. She'd Start a hunger cure until she lost the weight, and she'd weigh herself as many as three times a day. Occasionally she'd eat a lot, but that was rare. In 1878, for example, she was reported to have feasted on a meal of a hen, an Italian salad, champagne, and cake. In 1881, she bought an English country house and had a spiral staircase put in from her living room to the kitchen, I guess, presumably to sneak down Private and get a snack now and again.
3: Access. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that the fact that these two events are actually of note in her dietary history. Gives us a real sense of her, her daily meals. I mean, hen, a salad, champagne, and cake. That doesn't sound like that much pretty to normal. me. So. The fasting, however, wasn't nearly as troubling to her family as her habit of tight-lacing corsets. And, of course, that was the style for the time. But Cece really took it beyond the style into really kind of outrageous territory. Her goal waist was 50 centimeters. That's 19 inches. Again, she is... Five foot eight, so super tiny. And um, her pregnancies really, really bothered her because obviously 19-inch waist is the exact opposite of being pregnant. And after a third pregnancy, which she really spent trying to hide her figure, which she saw as kind of grotesque, she finally had a son and heir named Rudolph, which meant that she could stop having kids. She had done her, her wifely duty at last.
4: Yeah, and she didn't just stop having kids. She also really stopped trying to be the empress that her mother-in-law had wanted her to be. She'd sleep only a few hours and stay up all night reading and writing romantic poetry. There's an article in History Today by Walter Van Der Eiken and Ron Van Deth, and they call it this her secret diary that she would write in. She also took up smoking, and she eventually learned English, French, Hungarian, and modern Greek. She
3: has a lot of time to study, as we're going to talk about in a little bit.
4: By 1860, she also got an easy way out of her official role. Suffering from anemia, exhaustion, and a lung complaint, Sisi's doctor prescribed a curative trip to Madeira. This meant that she could leave Vienna with a good reason. So sweet. It's an
3: excuse to get out of town. And after six months in Madeira, she was entirely recovered and returned home only to have all of the symptoms, all of the bad health come back after just four days in Vienna. So I think we're seeing some psychosomatic things going on here. Um, And this really started a pattern of leaving for exotic locales like Greece or Venice or uh, homeier spots, you know, going and seeing her family in Bavaria or going to Austrian spas, and then popping back into Vienna only occasionally. She was away for almost two entire years between eighteen sixty two and eighteen sixty four, and on her way back to Vienna, an unannounced trip back to Vienna, she threw up in her carriage four times. So. She did not like living in the capital city, I
4: think it's safe to assume. No, she did. But she liked keeping her lifestyle the way it was in order to get fresh dairy products on her rambles, which she loved. She'd only drink milk from her own animals. She would essentially – she'd bring along goats and sheep with her. So essentially – travel-sized Travel-sized cows? Yeah. (laughs) I know.
5: I mean,
3: basically. I think her her dairy obsession is kind of interesting. I read one thing about how at some of her estates in Vienna, she had full uh, ranges of cow breeds to choose from. And the cook at the confectionery would actually specify which cow he wanted milk or cream or butter from because they had different flavors and different tastes. We have to wonder what Franz Joseph thought of his wife being gone all the time. I mean, after all, this was a love match, so presumably he had some affection for her, not to mention she's the consort, so she has a lot of official roles. Um, Even though they were frequently separated from the 1860s onward, Franz Joseph really did stay deeply in love with his wife. They write a lot of letters to each other. He would build these palaces for her in her far-off vacation spots or sometimes close to home um, trying to trying to urge her to at least be near him in Vienna or make it easier for him to visit. He built a Pompeii-inspired palace on Corfu and this forest villa um, outside of Vienna to give her a lot of privacy. Had it decorated with frescoes from Elizabeth's favorite play, which was A Midsummer Night's Dream. And It's funny, she acknowledged the Midsummer Night's Dream reference, but she didn't stay there very much. And when she did, she'd sleep on a mattress on the floor near a window so she could see the sky out the window.
4: Franz Josef wasn't totally selfless in this, though. He did want a second son to secure his line, though Sisi's doctors said that her health couldn't permit a fourth pregnancy. Oddly enough, it was her growing interest in politics that finally convinced her to have a fourth child. As we mentioned, Sisi wasn't the best representative of monarchy, at least from the Habsburg perspective. She thought that it was an outdated institution, but she was really interested in Hungarian politics, an interest that might have been stoked by her possible love. However, Count Eula Andrasi, eventually prime minister of Hungary.
3: And uh, we're not going to go into that too much because there's just not that much information on them, except that they were... Good friends, and they both obviously had a strong interest in Hungary. But in 1867, the Austro-Hungarian Compromise made Franz Joseph the Emperor of Austria and the King of Hungary, and by extension, Elizabeth the Empress. Um, and it divided the monarchy into two halves, and each half had its own constitution and parliament, but they were ruled by one leader and one ministry and because of her interest in Hungary and its culture she had another villa built there she'd take her kids to Budapest all the time cc became immensely popular in Hungary she decided to eventually repay that love of the people by having a patriotic hungarian baby so one that would be born in Hungary, one that would symbolize the alliance between the two countries. So Sisi and Franz Joseph went ahead and had one more child, Marie-Valerie, and she was born in Budapest, April 1868. And this time, I mean, she she was the Hungarian baby, but she was also finally Sisi's baby. She got to raise her and be in charge of her, her upbringing and her
4: education. The death of the Archduchess Sophie in 1872 gave Cece even more freedom to do as she pleased. She started entering writing competitions as far off as England and Ireland, and she'd be seen in public for only the biggest events, like the World Exhibition in Vienna and the wedding of her daughter Gisela or Franz Josef's Silver Jubilee. So things like that. So
3: barely ever in Vienna.
4: Right. When she'd travel, she'd go incognito. So it's... Probably strange then for someone who's so interested in being unknown to simultaneously be so interested in her looks. We've already talked about Cece's extreme dieting and her exercising, but she's also associated with something that's become known as her cult of beauty. She almost idolized her own beauty, or at least became a slave to it, trying to live up to her own reputation. She'd be sewn into those figure hugging clothes that we talked about to show off her tiny waist. She'd take icy cold showers in the morning and warm olive oil baths every evening and she'd wear night masks of raw veal and strawberries for her skin. Which again sounds kind of, I don't,
3: strawberry sounds nice, raw veal, not so much. Um, she also had a lot of hair. It was dark blonde when she was younger, uh, chestnut colored when she was older, and it was not only really long but really thick. If you look at any portraits of her, pictures of her, you'll see her with this uh, particular hairstyle kind of curled in the front and then just piles and piles and piles of braids. And all of that hair took three hours of attention every single day. This is when she would study languages and philosophy and literature and history. And her hairdresser, who would come on all of those travels just like the goats and the sheep, would wash her hair in what were called essences every three weeks And that day was just totally set aside for hair care. So she really could say, I'm sorry, can't go out. I'm washing my hair. Um, For special occasions, she would really adorn herself and try to draw even more attention to her beautiful hair. She'd wear this set of 27 specially made diamond and pearl stars and um, those kind of became associated with Elizabeth too. Cece's stars they're sometimes called. She'd give them as tokens to family members and ladies in waiting, kind of like a, a calling card almost.
4: And even her minimal use of makeup played into her own cult of beauty. She wanted to differentiate herself Her own natural looks, that is, from the painted ladies that she saw around her. From the 1860s onward, she started to collect photos. In Venice in 1862, she started an album specifically about beauties and broke it up into different collections, like beauties from the East, historical beauties, dancers in skimpy outfits, things like that. It's hard to think of Cece as entirely vain, though. She took a strong interest in the poor— And in particular, the mentally ill, just like her cousin Ludwig II. In 1871, her husband actually asked her what she'd like for her Saints Day, and she said she wanted a tiger cub and a medallion, but, quote, a fully equipped lunatic asylum would please me most. Yeah, I mean just like so strange and it's important to remember you know when we when we talk
3: about all these sort of eccentric things that she does and her own cult of beauty just how popular she really was I mean people loved her we talked a little bit about how much the Hungarians loved her because she was interested in their culture and their cause but the Austrians really came around to her too when she took care of the wounded during a, or after a battle and people just really gravitated toward her but Cece's life of eccentric rambling took a dark turn when in January 1889, her son, Crown Prince Rudolph, killed himself in this bizarre murder-suicide with his 17-year-old mistress. And We got to talk about Rudolph for just a minute here. He was also kind of an oddball. He believed that his father's views were really old-fashioned, and like his mother, Cece, he wanted a looser court, kind of a more liberal government. And he actually went as far as to write articles for a leading liberal newspaper under a pseudonym, which – sounds pretty, I mean, <laughs> I wonder how he he got that role if he admitted who he was and then said, can't use my name. But um, that's a pretty radical thing for the crown prince to be doing. And he also socialized with people. We We talked about how strict that court etiquette was. He socialized with people who were outside of his class. He had a lot of Jewish intellectual friends. And all of this, instead of making him Kind of the new guard, maybe as he was hoping, really made him an outcast with his father and with the aristocracy as a whole.
4: And as a result, he was allowed no part in government and married off to a Belgian princess and clearly deeply unhappy and disturbed. And so he entered into a suicidal pact with the teenage Baroness Marie Vetzra. And it's possible that he first asked one of his other mistresses to take part in the pact, but was refused. So, and so,
3: yeah, just don't get any ideas that they were some kind of star-crossed lovers. Seems like he really just wanted somebody just to be She was just the one him. who agreed. Yeah, exactly.
4: So the resulting deaths were called the Meierling Incident, and they were a huge scandal, and the emperor tried to cover up all the facts of the case. And there were some conspiracy theories surrounding this, right? Yeah, I mean, the main one
3: is that Rudolf didn't um, first kill his lover and then commit suicide, but was in fact murdered. And the young Baroness was murdered as well to make it look like it was a murder-suicide. That's the main theory, but there are lots of them. So regardless of how it happened, Cece was truly devastated by her son's death. She took to wearing mourning for the rest of her life. And just to give you some context, too, Rudolph's death wasn't just one unhappy event in her life. It came right in the middle of a string of family tragedies. And the first you're familiar with, because we talked about it pretty recently in our Emperor Maximilian of Mexico episode. He was, of course, her brother-in-law and was executed in 1867. After that, his wife, Carlota, was driven mad. Another one we've talked about before, in 1886, Cece's beloved cousin, Ludwig II, drowned or died under some kind of mysterious circumstances. Then in 1896, another brother-in-law, Carl Ludwig, died from a parasite after drinking from the River Jordan. And then the last blow, really, came in 1897 when C.C.'s sister, Sophie, who was once a fiancé of Ludwig's, died in a fire at um, a Paris charity bazaar. So even before some of those later events happened, even after the death of Rudolph, C.C. was afraid that she was going to go crazy from all of the grief in her life go mad and according to that history today article we mentioned she stopped writing poetry she kind of encouraged her husband and his relationship with the actress katerina Schrott, and uh she went on to become his main companion really for the rest of his life
2: In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at HowLifeUnfolds.com slash Tired
1: of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <laughs>
2: privileges, and start earning points toward your next day. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true.
3: Cece kept on traveling, too, going to all of those spots far away, near, visiting Bavaria, just constantly on the move.
4: As we mentioned, Cece would usually go incognito on these travels, staying under an assumed name. But in 1898, while she was on a trip to Geneva to visit the baroness Julie Rothschild, the hotel owner recognized her, and so news that she was in town wound up in the paper. This was perfect timing for a 20-year-old anarchist named Luigi Lucini, who was looking to kill someone important. His original target had been Prince Henri d'Orléans, who was supposed to visit Geneva, but the prince never showed up. And so when Lucini saw the Austro-Hungarian empress was in town, he decided she'd make a suitable replacement, especially since she wore all black and would be easy to spot. So on September 10th, he approached Sisi
3: and her lady-in-waiting on the street and stabbed her with a homemade file. And initially, Cece didn't even realize that she had been stabbed because she wore such thick corset. She thought she'd just been pushed to the ground. So she got up, she quickly walked to the ship on Lake Geneva that she had been bound for. And at that point, she collapsed and died soon after. The file turned out to have barely struck her heart. Uh, So the assassin was easily arrested, taken in, and he explained how he had wanted to kill somebody powerful and said, quote, only he who works may eat, which turned out to be a really peculiar statement in light of CeCe's eating disorders. But he also admitted that he really didn't know who she was. He just knew that she was somebody important. He had no knowledge of all of her charitable deeds, her trying to help mentally ill people and um, the poor, all the things that made her such a popular figure with a lot of Europe, and Lucini wanted to be executed as. A martyr for his crime. He asked to be killed, but he really should have picked the place where he committed his murder a little better because the death penalty had by that point been outlawed in Switzerland. So instead, he got life in prison, and he hanged himself with a belt um, many years later in 1910, supposedly after his memoirs had been
4: confiscated. And of course, Franz Joseph was deeply upset by what had happened. When he heard that Cece had been killed, he's supposed to have said, "Quote." you have no idea how much I loved this woman. And in light of all his family tragedy, he said, quote, nothing has been spared me in this world.
3: So a sad end to... um... The love story of Franzi and Cece here. But there's a very macabre twist to this story, too. And I know is going to like it because <laughs> there is a preserved head waiting at the end of this podcast for all of us. So for 87 years after Elizabeth's death, Geneva's morgue contained the decapitated head of the assassin, Luigi Lucini, And in the 1980s, the head, which was preserved in formaldehyde, was sent to Austria. And there's a, I found a New York Times article from the 80s uh, that quotes a Dr. Oldrich Freik, who was the chief of Geneva's Institute of Legal Medicine. He said, quote, Personally, I am happy we are rid of it. You could keep it for 200 or 300 years like that. I'd wanted to dispose of it, perhaps make a mass casting of the face. But the Austrians wanted it, perhaps to see a piece of history of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It gets weirder than that, though, because just a few years after the swap, it seemed like everybody had forgotten how the head got from Geneva to Austria (laughs) in the first place. There's an article I found from The Lancet in the late 90s, and the head was by that point at the Museum of Pathology, and it was just a total puzzle to everyone how it had gotten there. Um, Karl Holobar, who is the chairman of the Institute for the History of Medicine, figured, quote, the Swiss probably thought, my God, what do we do with this? We'll give it to Austria. So I like that um, they kind of assume that the Swiss Didn't want the head and figured Austria would, and really Austria did want the head. They they were correct.
4: And I would just like to point out that I'm not the only one in the studio (laughs) who's interested in heads. I know. I know. I think you started. You started the trend, though. (laughs) So unlike Ned Kelly's head that we discussed a few episodes ago, no one wanted this creepy, experimented-on head of Lucini. The pathology museum director at the time, or curator at the time, even said that the head was, quote, of no scientific worth, and they'd been trying to get permission to have it interred for years, and that finally happened in 2000.
3: And you know why it happened? Why? Why? Because people kept on coming to the museum because Empress Sisi is still so popular. People would come, like, on the day she was assassinated and try to see the head. And one of the stipulations of the head being transferred to Austria was that it would not be on public view because that's just oh. too gross and creepy. It's it's I mean a head in formaldehyde. Come on. Was um, that in the
4: stipulation that they send in this is gross and creepy and you can't
3: do it? <laughs> Those are that's my interpretation <laughs> of of the transfer. So I think closing with that head pretty much wraps up the story of uh, CeCe's murderer's death. But um I mean I I wanted to talk a little bit more about who she was and the things that made her so unusual for her time, how strange it is that those things are are common now or, or not unusual at all. The extreme dieting, the exercising, the being obsessed with her hair and uh, aging and losing her beauty, all things that just a few decades later really
4: wouldn't make her stand out at all. Wouldn't have been a big deal. And yeah, that's a good point. She once wrote to her daughter, Marie Valerie, quote, Marriage is a nonsensical institution. One is sold off as a 15-year-old child, taking an oath that one does not understand, cannot revoke, and then regrets for 30 years or more. I just thought that was an interesting quote to end on because, it, it you know, after we told this whole story about the love story with Franz Joseph, it gives you a different idea of how she felt when she got married.
0: Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.
5: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep.